Hi, everyone. Happy Friday. I don't know when you're listening to it, but today is Friday when I'm recording it, and I'm just going to say happy Friday. (laughs) Today's guest on the podcast is Lauren McGoodwin. I called her Laura for the entire promotion for this episode, and I can't believe I did that. Not that I'm incapable of making mistakes, but because one of my biggest pet peeves is when people send me an email and it says Margaret or Maggie, I'm like, my name, it's right there. And there is her name, literally Lauren, on the cover of the book I am reading. So a little bit goofed off (laughs) that I did that to poor Lauren on her book launch week. However, we did have a great, great conversation about her new book, Power Moves, How Women Can Pivot, Reboot, and Build a Career of Purpose. Lauren is the founder of Career Contessa, and her new book is jam-packed with everything you could possibly need to know, want to ask about career and being a woman and how to literally build your career on your terms and how to make changes, figure it all out. A fabulous, fabulous book. And I enjoyed my interview with her so very much. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Lauren McGoodwin. Hi, and welcome to the same 24 hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode, a live episode of the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm super excited. We have Lauren McGoodwin here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Wait, are you Lauren? Have I been calling you Laura? (laughs) I'm Lauren. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I have been calling you Laura. It actually happens a lot. I feel like I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, I think they get to the R in my name. And then they're just like, it's Laura. You know, they just like, give up. Yeah, oh, they just give up. that's terrible. That's <laughs> awful. Oh, I'm that person. You know what that's from, though? Because everyone gets me confused with Margaret Atwood. And so I always, like, that's, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is like, don't call me Margaret. And so this is karma coming back to me. So <laughs> I'm really so humiliated right now. But Lauren. Yes. It is great to see you. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me here. So you are the founder of Career Contessa. Do I have that right? You do. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And we are excited about your new book, which is out probably by the time this recording goes up, but out on Tuesday, May 19th. Is that right? May 19th. Yep. That's the the public or what do they call it? Your release date. Release date. Yes. That's right. So let's talk about power moves. What is a power move? (laughs) Yes. So a power move is an action, a behavior, a decision, a move in your life that has um, purpose and intention behind it. And they are the moves that help you build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, I tell people, I'm like, the big piece about power moves is that they're proactive and they're intentional versus what most of us do most of the time, which is react to whatever's happening around us. Um, we're kind of in this interesting time right now because I feel like people have 
more free time right now than they've ever had before. So maybe you guys are starting to recognize this in your own behavior, the kind of react versus proactive moves that you've, you've made in your life up to this point. Yeah. So how much of this reactive and proactive stuff is from our, I don't know, childhood or conditioning or generation? Because I noticed you, you start and you talk about, um, you know, the you're a millennial. I am a Gen Xer by just a smidge. Um, but how much of this unpower move, that unconscious moving that we make has come from our sort of programming, early childhood conditioning, the way the world works? <laughs> You are spot on, almost all of it, uh, which is why I started the book with how did we get here and, and, you know, how it started. And um, with the, you know, I should preface that even if you're not a millennial, you've been influenced by um, all these quote unquote millennial tendencies and societal norms. And part of that was just the the shift in, in our world, right? Like, you know, maybe millennials were the first generation to grow up with technology, but it's not like Gen Xers and baby boomers, you know, completely ignored technology. They maybe just got it a little bit later on. So um, yes, to answer your question, almost all of it. Yeah. One thing that I took a note of, um, let's see, where did I put it? Oh, maybe I didn't take a note. I took a mental note, but you said something in there that was really interesting at the beginning that the millennial generation um, was basically told you can have it all. So go get it. And yeah. what I know my generation was told and I, Ada Calhoun talks about this in her book, Why We Can't Sleep, and I'm having her on in a couple of weeks, but she, but our generation, it was similar, but slightly different. I think it was, you can have it all. We messed up and didn't. <laughs> so go redeem <laughs> us for not doing it. And so what's the kind of difference? Because I, I feel like the message is the same, but it's, it's not though. It, There's some subtle of, differences. I, I yeah. feel like, I think, also, a lot of this revolves around, you know, how you were raised, you know, the expectations you maybe had when you were coming out of college, all that good stuff. So um, in the book, there's a quote um, from an author who wrote this great, and I loved this line. She said, the millennial generation, women specifically heard, um, you can have it all. And what they are that's what we were told and what they heard is you need to be it all. And so mm. I think that is something, um, again, for the millennial generation that it was sort of this idea of like, well, you can have it all. It, as long as you get the timing of everything correct, as long as you get a degree and you get good grades and you, you know, have this amazing career, as long as you pick the right partner, as long as you do these things, there is a formula for success and it's totally, you know, possible and it's yours to have. And I think, um, one of the things that happened, especially with my generation, is we did all those things and then we still are not where we thought we were going to be. So uh, now we're in what we call like an ambition ditch or an ambition trap, the ambition <laughs> collision. Um, and that's something where I think a lot of women have dealt with that. I think in her book, um, Why We Can't Sleep, it talks a little bit about that too, sort of, you know, this feeling of like not getting where you thought you were going to be and, and this expectation hangover that can come as a result of that. Um, so 
yes, to answer your question, it's, it, there are some slight differences. I, I think that the millennials were mostly raised um, by baby boomer parents, which I, I think you probably were too. Um, but we were also part of this generation of like self-esteem classes of like being the, the most important thing. We were overscheduled. We had constant yes, feedback. That's a big distinction. Yeah, yeah. They didn't quite have all of their act together mm. for the Gen Xers. <laughs> the, you know, the baby on board, the, um, you know, the, the big joke is always like, I don't know if you have this growing up, but like when I was growing up, when people had a baby, sometimes they would put like this stork in their lawn being like, we had a baby. It's like, you know, my grandma used to say, you know, it's weird when we, back in my day, when we had a baby, you just tell your friends about it, you know? So, um, yes, we, we definitely had some subtle differences with, with how we were raised for sure. That is such a good point. I think that, and not that anyone has my opinion, but that feels like the biggest distinction because you and I, I'm obviously older than you, but what, you know, when I was reading the part in your book, I'm like, well, that sounds like me, but that the overscheduled, I was not an overscheduled kid. Yeah. I walked into sixth grade and there were bas- basketball tryouts and I was like, do I know how to play basketball? You know, but I figured yeah. it out. And now yeah. if you want to play basketball, you better start at three. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you're going to have uh, some professional coach and you're going to go to this <laughs> camp and that camp and all these things. And, and I think the, the math was kind of simple for the millennial generation. By the time we wanted to go to college, there were less uh, spots in school than there were people applying for it. So we grew up with just like hyper competitiveness from basically yeah. the day we came out of the womb. And so our parents were very focused on, um, not everybody, obviously, but this is sort of a, a generalization that um, our parents were extremely focused on um, preparing us, you know, like uh, to make sure we had that competitive edge uh, among our peers. And that was more normal back then than it ever was before, you know, especially yeah. baby boomer parents, um, you know, and things like that. Yeah, definitely. I, the, the competition. That's huge. That's huge. I didn't feel the competition pressure. I felt another um, internal, well, also external pressure to perform. And so it was interesting when you mentioned in your book um, that you came out of undergrad during the financial crisis, I think like 2007, 2008. That's when I was essentially trying to find a job as a lawyer. And so it, our story sort of matched up there. It was like, um, you know, I, and the joke on me is I went to law school so I wouldn't be a dirt poor writer, which Right. You know, fast forward 20 years, here I am, you know, we won't talk about the hilarity of that. But I left law school in that same time you you were leaving undergrad. And I'm like, well, here I am to make all the money as a lawyer. And yeah. I ended up making less than I would have as a writer because I worked, went to work for this little small town podunk law firm right. and um, made no money. And so that that brings me to a big theme of your book expectations. Like what do you think about expectations? (laughs) As I said in my book, I think they are those like evil friends that keep you up at night thinking, where did I make the wrong turn? What did I do wrong? How can I work harder? I mean, they seem to really have, I think they're sort of the root of the cause of the issue. You know, when you expect something to go a certain way and it doesn't, then you kind of um, go this to the other end of the spectrum where you start beating yourself up about, and this is again, like very hard for people who are high achievers and perfectionists. And uh, a lot of women can really relate to these feelings of like, I expected it to go this way, or I put this expectation on myself that I would be able to accomplish these things. And when they don't do it, um, 
even if it's not their fault for no other reason, it could be someone who who's beating themselves up right now because something didn't go the way they wanted to. And there's literally a pandemic out there, you know, it's nobody's fault, but, um, those are expectations. Expectation hangovers are, which is a, a phrase that Christine Hassler um, talks about, and she even wrote a book about it. I, I think it's a it's a it's a perfect way of describing it. It's a hangover. It's it's this feeling of, you know, I, I thought it was going to go this way, and it didn't, and and now I don't know what to do. And I think the problem with expectations is that they don't allow us to see flexibility and the ability to adapt as our best professional assets. Right? They have us chasing other assets that. Um, we think are, you know, the key to success. And I need this thing. If I can check the box for that, then this will happen. It doesn't have, life doesn't work like that. And, and, um, my whole generation found that out the hard way. Your generation found that out the hard way. I mean, our hope is that the next generation will maybe, you know, have our learnings and, and it will be different, but you know, expectations, whether it's with a job, a partner, school, education, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. The ability to bounce back resiliency. You said that somewhere in there and the whole time I'm thinking, oh my God, I've been calling her Laura. Like the, <laughs> like I'm going to think about that the whole podcast now because I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> but the perfectionism that drives, okay, everything has to be perfect. Everything, oh my God, I'm calling her Laura. Um, that is what I was thinking for the last 10 seconds. <laughs> it's well, I also think it's, it's interesting <laughs> because, um, and I mentioned this in the book too, that resilience and the reboot is not about like hustling harder. It's not always about doing more. Sometimes it's about pausing and taking a step back. And most of the time it's about pausing and taking a step back and reflecting. And we're like, again, society groomed us. To, we don't do that. We don't take pauses. We don't take step back. We go forward, 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 mm. forward. Because anything that is a step back, a, side, a step to the left, the right, a U-turn, any direction other than forward, we see as being a step backwards. And I think that is also a problem because it really limits your ability to, um, you know, if you were driving a car and the only direction you could only, you could ever go was for, you know, drive forward that you would miss so much. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Right. One of the parts of your book I really like is the career traps. Do you have a favorite career trap? Um, I think the compare and despair is my favorite. So the, the four traps are the myth of the dream job, um, compare and despair, um, big picture thinking. That's also, I think a good one. Um, what was my busyness? Busyness. Oh yeah. Busyness is a badge of honor. Um, I think the compare and despair is my favorite just because it's the one I, I think I relate to the most, which is feeling like for whatever reason, um, when I don't know what to do or I have a moment where I'm feeling anxious, I try to solve the quote unquote problem by comparing myself to others or seeing what other people are doing. That's another thing, again, that the millennial generation grew up a lot with is we were able to have this direct comparison of our progress and our accomplishments to our peers constantly. Yes. Um, they didn't have, they, you know, that just wasn't a thing uh, really before we had as much technology, before we had social media and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's the one I struggle with the most. So I don't know about being a favorite, <laughs> a favorite in the sense <laughs> of like, you know, uh, it's my least favorite. But right. I also think that it's, it, it is the most common trap because um, Dr. Alyssa Wistring, she did this uh, research and she came up with the phrase compare and despair because she actually found that women are more likely to compare themselves to other people than men are. And I found that really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. It makes sense though, because we're competing for the men, like evolutionary wise, right? We're like 
Yeah, but competing. you know what's funny is I feel like as you get older, <laughs> it's like then you just start to compete. Like you're competing for like, like a woman's attention. You know what I mean? Like I find yeah. that a lot of my friends are married now, and now it's like if they're getting dressed up to go out for a night, they're not doing it for their husband. They're doing it because they're going to see their friend. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's so weird. It's I think so we also weird. do it for each other a little bit too. It's a competition of. You know, I just want to make sure that I, my accomplishments outdo yours. I I don't know. I mean, certainly not having a lot of women in the workplace, only having a few leaders at the top, all of those things, feeling like there were only a few openings that, that didn't help. Definitely. Right. Right. That's interesting. You brought up social media and as we grow up, um, we're competing like as, as young kids. I mean, just think if this pandemic had happened 20 years ago or like when I was eight, like we wouldn't have, I don't know, what would we have done? We we would have called our friends on the landline. That would have been it. Um, but one of the things that I, I think about in fourth grade, we had a reading contest for the summer and I was stoked because I was like, I got this. I got the reading contest, you know, and I didn't talk to my friends. I didn't post it on social media because we didn't have it. And I showed up on the first day of school and I had read 35 books that summer. And one of my friends had read 40. (laughs) And I remember thinking, what? Um, But if that had happened now, we would have been posting how many books we'd read on social media and counting them and and knowing um, the surprise move is what you almost don't even see anymore. You don't see the the, the sabotage coming at you or you see it kind of crawling. And then it gives you this constant sense of anxiety that you have to be keeping up. Yeah. And the, and the sad thing about it, especially with social media is that it's just a highlight reel, right? Like you're only seeing the stuff that people want you to see. Nobody's sharing when they read five books for the summer. They're only (laughs) sharing when they are the best at something. And so, um, and look, now there's at least enough research that shows social media is literally this deep well of like depression and loneliness and compare and despair. And so, on one hand, I guess during a pandemic, there's some positives where it has allowed us to stay connected and feeling like we are, um, you know, able to, to socialize with our friends. There's probably also a lot of negative pieces of it too, which is the feeling of like, you know, there's, there's like been productivity shaming on Instagram. You know what I mean? I mean, the unfortunate part about, it seems to be whatever good aspects there are about something, (laughs) leave it to humans because they'll find the (laughs) negative aspect to it too. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's go back to the idea of a pivot, a career pivot. What does that mean? Yeah. So what I find interesting is that a pivot is usually, it's usually a positive, right? It's usually like I've reached my max potential in my current job and I'm ready to do something different. I'm ready to, you know, ditch my status quo and do and make a change of some sort. Um, I find that pivoting is maybe happening when, um, not necessarily like you're bored in your career, but maybe there's just been a shakeup. So I also think people need to look at pivots as like actually a really positive thing and something that again, you have intention behind wanting to, to do this. And it's usually a buildup of of other pivotal moments in your life. Um, it's like the person who gets the promotion and their, you know, their confidence skyrockets. And now they're being introduced to these clients and this client, and now they're going to think about pivoting their career toward that direction. Those are all really positive things. Um, when a pivot is forced upon you, AKA you were recently laid off because of coronavirus. I think people start to feel really anxious because they don't know, they all of a sudden don't feel like they're in control of their future. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you always have much more control than you think you do. Um, one, we've always lived in uncertain 
times, you know, that phrase of tomorrow is not promised to anybody kind of thing. Um, and I won't overuse cliches here, but when it comes to making a pivot in your career, I think one of the best things to think about is the fact that like, this is actually an opportunity for you to, um, maybe you weren't happy in your last job. And when they laid you off, this is now the opportunity for you to do something different. I mean, I, I don't know all of them, but like I saw the other day, someone listed all these amazing companies that were launched out of recessions, you know? So pivots usually are a time where you reach some sort of fork in the road and you make get to make it. And, and what I hope you'll do is make a power move, which is have intention behind what it is that you choose to do next. Again, going back to the example of like being self-reflective, I got laid off. I never liked that job. Or here's what I didn't like about that job. Here's what I always wanted to change about that job. And maybe I was too afraid to make those big changes beforehand, but now it's been pushed upon me. And how am I going to um, navigate that? So um, there's a lot of different ways you can do that depending on your situation. A lot of it ends up, you know, revolving around your current employment status and like what you need to have, like somebody who got laid off, who's like, "I, I don't have six months to figure out what I have to do. I have to get a job next month okay, then you're going to go where the demand is. What companies are hiring right now and and how are you going to make that happen? Somebody who is maybe... Um going to launch, you know, a travel company and now travel is on, on indefinite hold. Okay. How are you going to pivot that? Or maybe you completely shift and you, you pick another idea. I mean, I think what's happening, especially in recent times right now is that it's not that pivots maybe weren't on people's mind before, but everything's just been sort of accelerated too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So what is some advice that you have for some, so this is me showing my age. These are the people that have been graduated and in the workforce for 15 years, have had a couple of kids and who are like, oh my God, I hate my job. I can do it 20 more years. You can do it, Meredith. You can do it. But I always tell people you cannot do something you hate for 20 more years. Like that is the dumbest decision. Like, stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. Well, I think, I think having, look, there's always parts of any job that even when you do your own job, you know, you're your own entrepreneur. There's parts of my job that I hate, you know, but I think the end of the day, it comes down to, um, you always have a choice. Um, and even if you're in a job that you hate right now and you don't want to do it for the next 20 years, even if you, could, why not give yourself the opportunity or at least go after the opportunity to find something that you you do love? And um, one of the things I did in my book is I have a whole chapter on what I call power women, power moves. And there are women who made power moves in their career. And what they all had in common is they all were very successful um, or like monetarily successful, you know, career-wise successful, but they were also really fulfilled. They were able to mix those two. So I purposely wanted to use a lot of examples of that to show that you don't have to stay in a job for 20 years that you don't like, but it also comes down to your top priorities. You know, if you are making a million dollars a year and you're in a job you hate, that might be worth it. It might be worth it. You know what I mean? So, um, and, and everybody gets to decide what are the most important things for them to have in their career. I mean, for some people that is the big motivator. Other people, it's a, it's a mix of things. Um, so I think I cut you off for what your actual question was. No, but no, it's, I agree. It's I, I don't think people should necessarily stay in a job they absolutely hate for 20 years. Um, I think it's always worth it, even if it's a slow moving, you know, effort um, to try to, to create a, a fulfilling career, something that yeah. you do enjoy. But if anyone is hiring for a million a year for a job you hate, I'll do it for two yeah. years. <laughs> my, my name is Lauren. I'll give you my email address. My yeah. name is Lauren, not Laura. And yeah. she will do it also. We will do it together. It's fine. Yes, exactly. 
so why do people um, not make power moves? Why are they, why, what is the fear? What is holding us back? What, what are the things that you've seen keep people from taking the power move? And, and also, does it take a lot of courage or like how, what are the emotions around this? Yeah, I think the things that keep people from making power moves is that their natural default is um, instant gratification. They want results right away. So it's kind of like I use the example in the book, the metaphor of like a fad diet versus it's a lifestyle change. Power moves are a career lifestyle. It's something that you are doing every single day. You're not necessarily having this like instant gratification with a power move. So it's like, you know, waking up and having a morning routine that helps you focus and, and prepare your day so you can make sure you prioritize the top three most important things. And then you get those things done. And the idea is that these small habits, whether they're daily, you know, small daily habits add up to these big, uh, or like medium and big moments in your career. So I think what keeps people from doing that stuff is distractions, um, instant gratification, other people's expectations. So doing, you know, chasing something because they think that's what looks good on LinkedIn or Instagram. And so they spend their time, you know, going down that rabbit hole. Um, I think that it's, it's the discomfort of having to not necessarily have all the answers of exactly what you want to do and still having to to move forward or sit in the discomfort of like, I'm not exactly sure what to do. A lot of us, uh, you know, the joke is like America's drug of choice is busyness, right? Because if you're mm. busy and you're distracted, you don't have to face those things. And those are hard questions. Those are um, self-reflection is not something that can be done in an hour with the answer. Um, I remember when I was starting Career Contessa, I used to tell people often, I was like, I don't lack ambition. I lack direction. Well, you know, getting direction comes from engagement, right? You have to be able to engage with your world around you. So I think what keeps people from power moves is similar to like what keeps people from creating like, you know, the lifestyle change that they need for their, you know, wellness and fitness or weight loss kind of thing. It's, you know, the big, the big moments, just unfortunately, there is no quote unquote overnight success. No one loses a hundred pounds in a week. No one, you know, has their career skyrocket in a week. Like none of those things truly happen in that way. Um, when I was starting or launching career contestant and thinking about leaving full time, someone said, if you're not going to spend five years on it, don't spend five minutes on it. You know, that's Mm -hmm. hard. It's hard to feel like, Oh, you're gonna work on something for a really long time, and and maybe not feel like you're moving forward or you're getting anywhere, you know. So I, I, that's a long answer to your question, but those are <laughs> all the reasons that um, it's it's hard to make a power move. It's hard to be proactive and think of you know be thoughtful about what you want to do and um, and make the moves to do that versus you know, a job landed in your inbox and LinkedIn, you talk to the recruiter, they offer you a hundred grand. You're like, wow, it's more than I've ever made. Now, now I want to do that. Ultimately you take yourself wherever you go. So if you don't kind of fix the the stuff that was wrong in your career before, it's just going to end up there again. Right. Right. One of the great parts about your book is that you talk about sort of tiers of power moves, which I love that. Cause in my first triathlon book, I talked about tiers of goals. Like if you're going to yeah. try and do an Ironman and that's your like big lifetime goal, you don't start there. You start with the two to yeah. three month goal of maybe let's walk a 5k, you know? Yeah. And so I thought that was really great. And, and some of the ones on your list are, um, let's see, daily, small power moves, owning your mistakes, creating a to-do list, prepping your meals for work. And I mean, keeping a daily gratitude list. What great things. I mean, these are 
small habits, right? Atomic habits that James Clear talks about, the things that you do at the like micro level yeah, that establish the routine and the trust in yourself that, hey, if I can meditate every day for a year, I can make a bigger move. I can do yeah. bigger things and yeah. set habits. Yeah, I, I'm such a believer in, and what I was trying to do is just, I guess, create my own language or, you know, philosophy around this, but the, it's no different than the idea of like small wins add up to big moves. Uh, it's, it's no different than, um, and I, I tell the story of like where I first learned about this or the concept or got behind it is, um, I went off to college, I gained the freshman 30 instead of the freshman 15. And I started Weight Watchers for the summer because, you know, I wanted to fit into my jeans and I was a freshman. Okay. So I was like really motivated and, um, you know, I, it was kind of one of those things where there's no extreme, there's no like sexy glue glamorous piece of like Weight Watchers. And I know some people hate that I use that as my metaphor, but I'm just commenting like, this is where I learned this concept of like small itty bitty stuff. I mean, um, sports is another great place to, to learn um, this practice, which is again, like you just said, you're not going to go out and do an Ironman next weekend. <laughs> you're going to start with a 5k. I-, I know that everybody wants this like quick fix, this like solution in a bottle, you know, pill that you can take I want that too. You know, like I, I, I'm impatient. And like, and that is why I, I talked a lot about in the book. I start by explaining like the millennial generation. We grew up with so much stuff on demand and, and, and it's so unfortunate. It's fortunate and yet so unfortunate because life is not on demand. Careers are not on demand. So we have this huge, um, I guess, thing where pretty much most things that we want in life can be found online with an app or they can be delivered instantly. But then the big parts of our life don't work like that. I mean, you can even right. buy cars online now. Like you can do your, your doctor screening online. You can do so many stuff online, but like the career piece of this is, is just, it ha- that's not going to get replaced with, a, with an app. Yeah. My husband, he's a little bit older than me. And I mean like a little bit, three years, but we call mm-hmm. him Papa around here because he's like, why is my Bluetooth not working? And how yeah. are, And he gets really aggravated at the kids who are just sitting there like, YouTube, 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 click, yeah. click, click. And he's like, tonight we're going to sit down and watch a movie with commercials. And, you know, he just, he's like, you guys don't know what it's like. We used yeah. to have to record or we had to sit down at a certain time and watch television. Like there wasn't a replay. If you missed it, you yeah. missed it. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's exactly like a double-edged sword, you know, great that things are on demand, but, um, it takes 10 years to become an overnight yeah. success. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the big, um, like, irritations, especially around millennials, we've all heard the the stereotypes, they're entitled, they're impatient, you know, like those are true for a reason, you know, but it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the entitlement and impatientness is also like that affects other people. But I think what people need to understand, especially um, when it comes to making career moves is that when you make decisions quickly and not from a place of long thinking long term you're just you're just you're so uncomfortable um with not knowing what to do that you're you want to pick anything it's like mm. well then you're more than likely going to pick the ro- wrong move and that's why i say like the power moves approach to your career is the difference between desperate luck and calculated success it's not like you can't be successful you know reacting all the time in your career but if you want to be successful and fulfilled i found that what what people had in common is 
what we're talking about, these habits, these rituals that they, um, these power moves that, you know, they had their daily ones. And all of this was building blocks up to those bigger moments in life. Yeah. Let's talk about networking. I hate that word. I hate the idea of it. It has such negative connotations. It feels like a bad room full of lawyers and suits who are trying (laughs) to, I mean, been there, done that. But I love one of your points, which is don't stalk people (laughs) online. Networking don't. So what is, what is networking in this, this age? What is it? Yeah. I mean, networking in this age is, is, I mean, you're right. It's an icky word. It it makes people uncomfortable. Um, what it should be is instead of just being a transaction of what can you do for me and what can I do for you potentially, or how can I get what I want from you? What it should be is genuine relationship building. It should be you and somebody else having something in common, um, that you build a relationship that you can maintain and, and keep in touch and you are mutually benefiting each other. So, you know, think of it as like an ATM. If you were always withdrawing from your bank account, pretty soon you'd have no money. Um, so you have to think of networking as the same way you want to make withdrawals and you want to make deposits and you want them to make it so that ideally you always have some money in the bank. You always have some good networking or, or some relationships that are there without any expectations around what you're going to get from them. Um, yeah. In this world, it's, you know, it's, 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 I think people almost get to this point where when they get reached out by somebody and the person's like, oh, I just wanted to say hello, introduce myself. They're always like, well, why? Like, I know LinkedIn, like you connect with someone and then you have an instant message. I'm like, oh, what? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I, I think the biggest thing about networking is that you need to be genuine. You need, it's a slow burn. It's not about asking for a favor right that second. Um, and at the end of the day, relationships, the ones that you can actually count on, the ones that you are there for as well, um, they, they found, and this is not necessarily new research, but like you, you are the company you keep, that they help influence your career, you influence their career. So it's not also not a number scheme. The idea isn't to have 10,000 connections on LinkedIn that you don't actually know, maybe can right. never ask anything for. It'd be much better to have 100 connections where you know them really well. Um, and, and you're able to ask them for a favor and vice versa. So I, I think we've gotten this wrong. Again, this is, goes back to kind of like the internet and this on-demand thing. Like, yeah, we, we, it's faster to network, but is it, is it better to have 10,000 people than it is 100 good people? No. Right. Right. And, and that's what I, because I've been doing this about 10 years um, since blogging started. <laughs> and um, one of the things I've, I realized is, is everything you just said, like I, you and I got connected because I had reached out to your publicist about something else. And I was like, and she was like, no, blah, 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 blah. But I have Lauren yeah. <laughs> who has a new book coming out. Here's her stuff. And I'm like, oh, perfect. She sounds great. And then I started yeah. digging on you and um, I'm like, oh yeah, this is, we're going to have a fine conversation. And now like we're connected and it's, yeah. and that was a genuine networking triangle that happened because I was in contact with your, you know, your publisher. Yeah. Um, I also think that like a good way to go, or at least the way I've looked at it too, is like, let's say I wanted to build a relationship with somebody and I didn't know them. I always start with trying to add value to to them and their life and their career, like however I can. Um, I'm also one of those people where I try to make sure I make time uh, to network and, and really make it a priority. So I think the other thing that people do is they only reach out when they need something, you know, like that doesn't make people feel good. Um, so the, what I find is people who are really good at networking, one, they're 
they're givers. They're constantly giving and, and offering their time or their connections or, or even just saying, how can I help or, or being there to listen? Um, and I think that's a big difference is, you know, people who are good at it versus bad at it is they're givers. They're not just takers all the time. Yeah. And I think there's a time and a place. I mean, I love to help authors get some publicity because that's near and dear to my heart. And yeah. so, you know, I, and I, this is the third year of the podcast. And obviously I had a book coming out last year and needed blurbs because you need good people yeah. to say nice things about your book. And I hate asking, like I, yeah. I interviewed great Same. people and I had their contacts and I had the list. And so my, my publisher is like, okay, time to, you know, call Tony Hawk and Dr. Shafali and ask for blurbs. And I'm like, oh no, they, they yeah. were on my podcast. That was the favor. And, um, someone, uh, Lauren Zander told me, she's like, when do you get to just ask for one favor? And I'm like, that's just a rule, you know? Yeah. Um, but what I've learned, there are certain levels of people that are genuinely good people, even at the celebrity level. And when you come to them with like humility, like, thank you so much for being on my podcast. And that was amazing. I hope it helped you in some way. Um, I need a favor. It's so different than when you just come at them in a, in a self-serving way. Like I always knew when I interviewed Tony Hawk that I could probably contact him again in the future. Like, you know that about a network, but you, you just put it in your pocket until you really need to make the ask. And then you humbly ask and like, feel bad about it. Um, so I, I feel like that's a power move. You know, I feel like me writing that email, those emails asking for those people. That's totally a power move. And also you couldn't have made that power move without the first you know, the first level, you know what I mean? Which is you didn't start with having Tony Hawk on your podcast. You start with other people, you build that up knowing that maybe he's like a dream interviewer, you know, like that's another thing is like, none of this, you didn't start on day one with that. Right. Um, and I, I think that when people do start on day one with that, then, and they get a no or they get nothing, they get so discouraged. And the idea is that's why I like the levels of power moves start with small daily ones and work your way up to medium and big ones. The medium and big ones are not going to happen as often, but when they do, they, maybe they're career changing. Maybe it's getting a new job, quitting your job, asking Tony Hawk for a blurb on your book that helps you get the, your book into a certain, uh, to a certain event or gets, you know, you on somebody's radar that you wouldn't have been otherwise. So all of those are, um, you're not starting there, you know, right. and that's, I think that's the important piece here. I just, uh, one of the things I think ultimately happens is everyone gets so impatient to get what they want right this second. Um, And that is something we really have to fight against is, okay, you, you're here and you want to get there. How are you going to strategically do it? You know? And, and maybe that was another thing is that we all kind of got the wrong message or we saw it in like, again, millennials, we grew up with like these TVs and these movies. Like I, I said in the book, like I thought life was going to be very sex in the city as an adult. <laughs> you know Me I mean? too. Like, what? I wanted Allie McBeal when I signed up yeah, for law school. I wanted exactly. to practice. Like what happened? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> again, Absolutely. those expectations, right? They're, they are those irritating friends that keep you up at night wondering where you went wrong, but we didn't go wrong. It was, you know, a fault. I mean, we thought it was all real, but it was this false set that was, uh, that we kind of 
I guess, put all of our money on that bet, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned the lesson about expectations. Like I, I don't know, something happened in the last year, I guess, with the book coming out with the pandemic, with just all the opportunities I've had and not had and the results from them. But just to look at opportunities and not have any emotions around them. Like something great comes through, you go, that's awesome. I'm grateful for it. And that's where it ends. Like you don't get too high. You don't get too low. You just go here, you know, let's see what happens. It'll be fun. Yeah. Um, Regulating emotions. And that's, that's a whole you know, whole yeah. thing where I, I hope they start, I hope there's a piece in elementary slash middle schools that starts <laughs> to focus on that part, you know, because yes. that actually would have been more helpful than some of the other stuff, you know, <laughs> like line right. dancing or whatever we were learning line in dance. PE. Pottery. I'm yeah, sure there don't was need pottery. That. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, let's talk about burnout. I mean, mm-hmm. this is, this is very real. And I thought something I interviewed Kate Northrup, I guess sometime last year, and she talked about women, especially when that we have cycles of productivity. And I was like, what? And she said, yeah, often with our cycles, yeah. we have productivity cycles and then the calendar and the, you know, the Google calendar is made on a 24 hour cycle, which was created by men <laughs> and women actually have a lunar cycle. And I'm like, you are kidding me. And she's like, it's woo woo, but think about it. Yeah. And so I went and looked at my life and I looked at the times where I get up at two wide awake and I write for six hours and I do that for a couple of days and then I crash and, and I really started tracking it and I was like, oh my gosh, it's totally <laughs> cyclical. Yeah. Um, and I used to think, oh, it's burnout. This is, ha- I'm burned out. That's why I need to sleep or I'm, I, I thought it was burnout. Um, and then I realized it certainly can be, um, but that listening to my body in that way and seeing when I'm super productive, that has saved me from burnout because when I know yeah. I'm really tired and I can't write that it's probably just a, a fate, like, you know, a couple yeah. days I need to wait versus pushing through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you think about burnout? How does that play into power moves? I mean, it, it absolutely does. There's actually, um, in the book, I talk about people who feel stuck in their career. They can usually fall into one of three categories. Um, burnout is the first one, of course. Um, and then there's feeling uh, lost, which is sort of this drifter syndrome. And then they're stalled out. So stalled is, you know, so burnout is, and obviously what you just talked about is um, there's like frenetic burnout. There's this burnout of feeling just like mentally exhausted. There's also burnout that can happen from being go, 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 busy, 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 but none of it is actually like things that motivate you. They're just like task and responsibility. Mm-hmm. So the, the big one that we've all heard about is burnout. Um, lost at sea and slash drifting is sort of like you're walking around in the room in, in a dark room and you don't really know where you're going, but you can't see anything either. So it's like, I'm at this job, but I feel I'm just like disconnected. I don't really care about anything. Um, and then stalled out is I'm, I've, I've reached the pinnacle of what I can get here. And I'm like stalled in my career. How do I get to the next level? How, you know, you're bored. Um, you feel, um, unmotivated by the idea of even going to work that day, because again, you're like, I could do this in my sleep kind of thing. So usually people are one of those three, if they're feeling really stuck. And I think it is, Oh, I, I, I'm one of those people where I feel like it's always helpful, um, for your overall career awareness to recognize which, you know, where you kind of fall into that, like you, like now that you know about, um, burnout and how it can actually be related to more of your cycle, like, you, you know, that knowledge, um, allows you to be like, 
this is, I'm not going to beat myself up for this anymore and spend time doing that. Instead, I'm going to take this in stride and maybe come back to this in three days when I'm feeling better. Um, there's also this amazing book called Burnout, um, Completing Your Stress Cycle. And when I read that, that made a lot of sense to me too, which is that we all have a different stress cycle. And basically when you are feeling under a lot of stress or pressure or burnt out, um, the idea is that you basically are not feeling safe and that in order Mm. to get back to a place of safety, you have to complete this stress cycle. And some of the ways that you can help complete your stress cycle, uh, AKA feel safe again is, um, doing something creative, going outdoors, um, affection. So just like having a really good hug, um, from somebody, a good cry sometimes works and everybody has, um, or everybody completes their stress cycle differently. I found that to be like really eye-opening because sometimes you're just having an off day or month or week or whatever it is. And again, I think as women, our default, um, you know, dial on us is to like beat ourselves up as a way to motivate ourselves. But that's not helping anyways, because this is not about us being lazy. This is not about us lacking ambition, right? This is maybe, um, Again, we're not ta- we're not taking the times to pause, or maybe this is about us filling up our lives with so many distractions that um, it's keeping us from being able to actually recognize what we really need to be focused on. Yeah. So your years of running bare, uh, barefoot contessa career, contessa, <laughs> I am just determined to mess. I know Margaret Atwood, <laughs> and now I've just faux pod you to death. So you're like, yeah, she's a terrible interviewer. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I like an alter ego. My name's Laura, and I run barefoot contessa. <laughs> barefoot contessa. That's right. That's right. So, but what are we afraid of? Like that is fear is a big thing. Out of all your experience running career contessa and um, writing this book and the research, what are we afraid of as women in business? Yeah, I think that we are afraid of mostly the unknown of not feeling like, are we doing enough? Are, am I making the right move or the right decision? Um, kind of that feeling of like, I've got all these doors and windows that represent opportunities and I don't want to close any of them and miss out on any of this thing. So I want to make sure that I'm covering everything that I possibly can. Um, I think fear usually comes from a place of feeling anxious about the future and feeling like you don't always have control over, you know, whatever that next move is or what, what you're going to do. Um, I think those are the big ones. I think the other fear that people have is around, um, lacking direction. If they don't know what, what they should do. So that analysis paralysis, I think, I think that is the biggest one for women. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give you a scenario and then I'm going to ask you for your advice. Okay. (laughs) All right. You are a 35 year. I am a 35 year old. I'm five years younger than I actually am. Um, Mom of two and I have a law degree. I know I don't want to practice law anymore, but I need my family's income or I need the income from that job for my family. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that I love to write and I love to be creative, um, but I really have to get out of the grind of 100-hour work weeks. If I were to make a big first power move, what would it be? And if I were to take a small power move in the right direction, what would that be? I think a really good power move to start with would be to incorporate either meditation or journaling into a morning routine. So sticking with a morning routine, um, 
or even the other one I would say is a work journal. So kind of tracking what you do like about your work, what you don't like about your work, um, accomplishments in our personal relationships, dynamics, things like that. But also you could, I guess that could be the journal portion of your morning routine. But I would say a good um, first step is creating a morning ritual or morning routine that helps you focus your day on what are the three most important things that you want to accomplish today. I know you've had Laura Vanderkam on your podcast Mm -hmm. and she talks about, well, she actually says that we don't live our lives in days. We live our lives in weeks, which I would agree. So you could also do the journaling part, I guess, at the end of the week. And she says, you always want to make sure that your week includes something in the career bucket, the personal bucket and the family bucket or, you know, relationship bucket. So I think that's probably where I would start is just having the person get consistency with that. Um, And one of the things about the morning routine slash ritual is that, you know, once it becomes a habit, it is a little bit of this like mindfulness moment versus just like 30 minutes of meditation. Maybe you don't have time for that. So you could just start with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. It's a good one. Well, if anyone has any questions, let me know. We've got Lauren here. If you can think of anything or need to make a power move, then now's the time to ask her. But um, this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, meaning that we all have the same 24 hours in our day. But it's what we do in those 24 hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. So my question for you is what is something that you do on a daily basis in your 24 hours that you think is really grounding or like pivotal, something that you have to do on a daily basis that contributes to your greatest health, happiness, and success? Yeah, I think it's the morning walk for me. Um, I used to be a person who, I mean, I was a swimmer in high school and then in college, I feel like I got kind of like bombarded with this feeling of like, you have to work out really hard. And then even after college, and now I'm kind of at a place where I'm like, going for a walk in the morning does more for me than any of those other things ever did. Mm -hmm. And it's um, starting my day where I'm able to, I think moving is always really important. It allows you to kind of clear your mind or, and for me, it helps me kind of get really focused. Um, But I also find that it's something I enjoy doing. So consistency is definitely more important than the intensity, right? So like working out really hard for an hour once a week versus going for a walk. Yes, I recognize that a walk, I might not be getting my heart rate as high, but it, 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 for me, it's the consistency of it and it's the routine of it that I find really, really grounding. Um, and I can always tell the difference too when I, when I don't have that in my life. So for me, I think it's just... I, I, I mean, I can't talk enough about morning routines. I'm obviously a morning person. I think if you know you're an evening person, having a nighttime routine or ritual. The other thing I do that I think is also really grounding is, especially since all of our homes have now become our workplaces, is having a designated workplace that I can kind of like walk into work and mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, like send the signal to my brain and my body, like we're getting into work mode. Um, and also at the end of the day, uh, leaving it, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll light a candle when I first get into the office or my, my home office. Um, and, and that too, it's just, it's, it's a small ritual that makes me feel more grounded in to sort of like, all right, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, Lauren, congratulations on your new book and I hope Thank you. it does awesome things. It's a beautiful book and really wonderful. I wish I would have had this 20 years ago. It would have been extremely helpful. And hopefully you can get this in 
some sort of high school classes required reading junior year. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what I, like I said, there's so many classes I wish they had been teaching earlier on, but um, yeah, the book is called power moves, how women can pivot, reboot and build a career purpose. And thank you so much for letting me come on and, and talk about it here. Well, thank you for letting me abuse your name and <laughs> your brand for a solid 50 minutes. <laughs> well, no everyone, I will post the link to where you can find the book, but you can follow her at Career Contessa. And then from there, I know her name is in the bio at Career Contessa. So you can follow Laura yeah. directly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, have a good one. Stay safe and, and best of luck with the book launch. Thank you. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.